right. <clears throat> Welcome to RUF. Some of you guys, um, uh, I'm, this little mingling deal that we're doing right now has um, just opened my eyes to how many people in this room that I, that I don't know, that I haven't met before. So welcome to RUF. This is your first time. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship. We're one of the many campus ministries here on campus walking alongside you to help you grow in your faith at Wofford. We're trying to figure out imperfectly what it looks like to love God and to love others and to love Wofford here. But more fundamentally, we're a group of people bound by the reality that before anything else, God loves us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so whether it's in sermons or meeting with me or Caroline or Bible studies or conferences, whatever it is, we want you to see and to taste and to experience that Jesus loves you. And as uh, Jake read in Lamentations, his mercy is new every morning and it does not run out. And that is what RUF is all about. We're continuing this series in Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 11, and we're, we're still in, in chapter 3 because we're going to see God's first words on grace or mercy. First words are everything because in any storyline, the first chapter, you know, the pilot episode, season 1, episode 1, is really important to understand any storyline because the Bible is just that. It's a meta-narrative of God relentlessly committed to redeeming all things through Jesus Christ, where he makes all things new. We're going to celebrate that this weekend going to Easter Sunday, aren't we? That's the story of the Bible, and it starts here. This is season one, episode one in the biblical scriptures, and this is the first word on grace. Y'all listen to this. So Ivy and I have this app for Annie's daycare, and this app is really helpful. The app gives us updates about Annie's day. All the details, when she naps, when she has dirty diapers, when she's on the playground, all of it. It's all there. There's also this feature where they can direct message me and Ivy and communicate with us via text. And one day last week, I read these words. Hey, hope you are well, exclamation mark. Just wanted to let you and Ivy know that Annie bit a friend today. (laughs) Don't worry, it was provoked, and there is a mark. <clears throat> so there's that. <clears throat> um, <laughs> to which my dad responded, so I hope she, in his like, Alabama accent, I hope she doesn't get suspended. <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> so Annie is showing little flickers of defiance. Um, these days. One of the things that she's doing right now with no tears in her eyes, it is just complete drama. She just like flings her body back. And if she's on the ground, she will bump her head, not knowing that it's hardwood. And if she just, whatever it is. And right now she loves to get into sesame seeds. If she has no sesame seeds, like her body will do that. Um, So little acts of rebellion. If I ever was convinced of the human condition of Genesis 1 through 3 realities, the biblical anthropology, I'm seeing it made flesh with my daughter. Um, how in the world am I going to respond to all this? Uh, how, Ivy, tell me. Um, uh, how are we going to respond to these little acts of rebellion that are going to grow and grow and grow? Um, How does God respond to the rebellion that we read about two weeks ago of of sin entering into the world, of humanity's rebellion? 
How does God respond? That is the first word on grace. That is what we're going to see, how God responds. How does he respond? Shocker, you're an RUF, grace. That's how. And we're going to see that in two ways. God in this text meets immediate needs and ultimate needs. Immediate needs and ultimate needs. Let's do the first one. Okay, remember, if you weren't, if you weren't here, let me, let me just tell you, this is review for if you were. Two weeks ago, we had the first word on sin, Genesis 3. Lots goes on, lots of good stuff in God's creation and man being made in God's image in Genesis 1 and 2. And then we get to 3, and we see what sin is and what sin does. Remember, sin is this intrusive parasite that comes in from the outside of God's good world and latches itself on of God's good creation and sucks the life out of it and sucks the life out of God's image bearers. That's what God's world, um, how it's affected by sin in every single square inch of creation, every square inch of your heart and my heart has been touched by sin. And everything now has been infected and cursed and everyone is sick with sin. That's where you are. That's where I am. That's what sin is. Remember what sin does. It isolates and alienates. Remember this? It isolates. God made us for a relationship, but sin causes us to run and hide and isolate. He made us to live life with him and with one another, but sin alienates us from God vertically and alienates us from one another horizontally. Isolation, alienation. That's what sin does to us. So how does God respond to this? Look at verse 9 with pursuit, with a question. Where are you? Where are you? I want to suggest to you that that's actually a question not of condemnation, but of loving pursuit. That is an invitation. I always read that verse growing up as God's questioning Adam and Eve, like a high school basketball coach, when I would turn the ball over as a point guard growing up, like, what were you thinking? This, like, condemnation tone, what are you thinking? Where are you? I want to suggest that's actually a loving pursuit underneath those words. Where are you? Why are you hiding? It's not supposed to be like this. I want you to see that God pursues us is the first thing that we see in his response. Not just, remember, one thing that I've been wanting to like get into y'all's minds and, and, and hearts this semester and really this whole year is that when God cares for his people and when we throw words around, churchy words like grace and mercy, it is nothing but, gen- it is not generic. Daily bread is specific meals. Mercy and grace is specific things. And we see, in this case, that grace is God, his pursuit of us, him chasing us down. Where are you? Why are you hiding? I'm coming after you. Just look what I'm about to do. And we're going to get to that later. But I want you to see that God responds in in his grace and providing for these immediate needs and just going after them relationally. Where are you? He doesn't just pursue them. He also provides for them. He provides. This act of provision, did you notice... He gives them clothes. You can just read over that, especially if you've grown up in church. You can just read over that. He gave them clothes. Why do they need, need clothes? Because of shame. How did, sin, how did shame come into the picture? It's a result of sin. 
That's why, y'all, they didn't need clothes. They had no shame. They didn't need clothes because they were with God and with one another. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect intimacy. Sin comes in, I have to hide. I have to isolate. I have to alienate. I have to cover myself. Shame comes after sin that says, not just, I've rebelled, but don't look at me. You feel the difference? Not just rebellion, but don't be around me. That's woman at the well, isn't it? That's so many of our biblical characters. And that's me, and that's you. And God puts clothes on them. God moves towards us in our sin and our pain and our shame. He pursues us, and then he provides. You want to know the story of the Bible? And not, it's not generic grace. Jonah, Israel in the wilderness, feeding 5,000 people in a field. God pursuing sinners who were rebels and then meeting them right where they are, not as they should be, not like they're trying to pretend, and providing pursuit and provision. That's what we see. Let's go to ultimate need. God makes a promise. Ultimate need, there's a promise. Sin has not just affected us in immediate daily ways. Um, going out of the garden, trying to run away from God, running away from him. So he has to chase us down. Or now our shame, we have to clothe ourselves. There's immediate needs. But this is a cosmic ultimate need. It does not get any more disastrous than what we have read. And now there's an ultimate need because it's not just, remember, sin is not just this parasite that's latching onto you. It is a parasitic power that you are no match for. You are no match for. You can't get rid of it on your own. You've tried it. I've tried it. How's it going? You can't shake it. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7, that's why he says stuff like, I keep doing what I don't want to do. And the things that I know that I should do according to God's law, I can't do it. He's so conflicted. It's a power. It's not just a parasite. And we're no match for it. But I want you to see this promise. Again, we could overlook it in verse 15. I'm going to read it. I will put, okay, listen. This is God speaking to the serpent. This is God speaking to evil. This is God speaking to Satan. Verse 15. I will put enmity enmity between you and the woman... And then between your offspring and, your, and her offspring, your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God is speaking to the serpent and he is declaring war. That is what is happening. And here's what he is saying. Let me summarize. Because of sin, there are now two kingdoms and two kinds of people. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Jesus. Those who are in the kingdom of God and belong to the people of God and those who belong to the kingdom of Satan and sin and darkness. And those are the people who belong to that kingdom. And God here makes a promise that through the lineage of the woman, someone's going to come and deal with it. 
and not manage sin. This is war. He's obliterating sin. Remember, we don't need a savior. That's who's coming to manage or negotiate with sin. Easter this Sunday, when we when you're when we say Christ is risen, that is a declaration of defeat, not sin management. Okay? This is so I want you to see God here is saying that through the lineage of evil come a Messiah who will forever crush sin and death. I'm going to repeat it. This is the promise that God here is making that through the seed and the lineage of Eve will come a Messiah who will forever crush sin and death. And then he elaborates and he says, how is that going to happen? He shall bruise your head. He, Jesus, is going to bruise the serpent's head. Jesus will crush Satan's head. That's what we read. That's defeat, not wounded. Crush him, defeat him. And then you know what else? Jesus is going to be crushed. He will be bruised. Go read, the, go read Isaiah 53 and really so much of Isaiah. This is Advent readings usually predicting what Jesus is going to do. He was crushed for our iniquities. For our, like a lamb going to the slaughter. It's fulfilling this promise. And that was another elaboration Hundreds of years before Isaiah was hundreds of, of years before Jesus comes onto the scene. And it's elaborating on this original promise. Ver, this promise in verse 15 is known as the Proto-Evangelion. And that's just a, a fancy word for saying the first good news. Y'all, this is the first gospel. This is the first gospel proclamation. Tim Keller says this. This is not just a proclamation of graciousness. This is a declaration of personal war. This is Jesus. This is God saying, I will not let anything get between me and my people. And I will not let my creation groan forever. And I'm going to restore it. And I will obliterate anything and everything that obstructs it. And Mike Williams says this, a seminary professor of mine. I love this. Think about, so when someone says something like, the whole Bible is about Jesus Christ. The center of the Bible, the biblical story, is Jesus Christ. I hope you've experienced that in RUF. We're in the Old Testament. We're going to Jesus and because of text like this. This is the beginning of Jesus. All the Old Testament points to him. And in the New Testament, it's him fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies. The Apostle Paul says that all the prophecies, all the prophecies, all the law, all the prophets, all of it, all the covenant fulfillment, fulfilled stuff that needs to happen, all of it's yes and amen in Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews elaborates to that on, as well. And listen, this is what the professor says that I lost track of. The rest of the biblical storyline is a historical unfolding of that promise. I'm going to repeat that. The rest of the biblical story or redemptive history is a historical unfolding of verse 15. So God's final word on sin is actually Jesus Christ. And we'll see this weekend on what he, how he deals with it. Okay, let's land the plane with some application. All right, let's come up for air. 
Okay, I want you to think about daily pursuit and provision now. Remember, not generic grace, but daily pursuit and provision now. Give us this day our daily bread. What do we have every now and then mercy? No, every morning, new morning mercy that cannot be exhausted today, right here, right now. I want you to think, I mean, do you, I want to invite you to just see your life that way of a life of daily pursuit. Gee, he is after me today. I cannot outrun him. I suspect that maybe some of you here tonight have actually had seasons of your life, or maybe you're in one now, where you've actively tried to run from Jesus, and he he just keep chasing you down. He won't let you go. He doesn't just do that like in a concentrated season where he's like working all things together to chase you down and knock you down and cry uncle for his mercy, but it's daily. He's after you giving you daily bread and mercy every single day. I I want you to open your eyes to that. He's with me. He's walking walking with me. He wants to change me. Daily pursuit and provision. Give us this day our daily bread or provide for yourself. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm a sheep and I can't feed my, myself. I don't know where to find food. I don't know how to do friendship. I don't know how, to, I don't know how to do repentance. I don't know how to forgive my parents. I don't know what I'm going to study. I don't know what I'm doing post-grad. I don't know how to do marriage. I don't know how to think about marriage. Daily bread. Sheep without a shepherd, welcome to the club. He wants to feed you daily, not occasionally. And then, as we've said before, when you walk around the beauty that is this campus and you see the beauty of the trees and you see you go into Burwell and you have those pancakes tomorrow morning, if they're tomorrow morning, I don't know if they're tomorrow morning, next time you have them, and you taste and see the beauty of Jesus at this campus, you can see that with biblical lenses, that it's daily bread and goodness that Jesus wants you to taste with your soul. Okay, so there's, there's pursuit and provision now. I just want to invite you to be thinking of your life in that way. And maybe you've tried to live the Christian life and it's just one burden after another. I don't know if you've been walking with Jesus. His burden is light, he says. He's not trying to overpower you. He wants to give you rest. It's a light life, even as it feels heavy. Easier said than done, but give it a shot. Lastly, his promise here is sure. It's a sure promise. I I want you to know that your sin will not have the last word. I was talking with a friend recently, and it's actually, I went to the University of Alabama in Huntsville, and the RUF campus minister there, uh, they're going through Revelation. Been a wild ride at UAHRUF. And um, they just finished recently. And he read that Revelation 21 and 22, this all things new passage. And I'm going to read the Jesus Storybook Bible version of that. And I can't wait to do that in a second. <clears throat> Annie asked me to do that. I read it to her all the time. And uh, he, he preached on that passage. And here's what his two points. I love this. Listen to this. Very simple. What won't be in heaven and what will be in heaven? You know what won't won't be in heaven because of this promise? All of your insecurities. Does anyone want to be around me? 
that thought will not be in heaven. It's not going with us. Your anger and resentment of that childhood friend or family member who abused you well, is not going with us. It won't be in heaven because of this promise. The sin that you can't shake, it's not going with us. It won't be there. And on and on and on. It's not going with us because he was crushed for it. And if it was put on him, it's not on you. And that sins that you have actively committed against God, rebelled against God yourself, and sins that have been afflicted on your own, like that if you, when you've been sinned against, wounds that you walk around this campus with, it's not going with us. What will be with us is God in the flesh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's going to be the city version of Eden. <clears throat> Okay, let me read this. If that promise is true, then uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones' summary here, this is not just for Annie, this is for for us. I'm going to read, I'm going to try to project, and you all just uh, come along for the ride. This is John's vision of heaven. I see a throne, and on the throne is a king. And the king is Jesus. All around the throne, I don't know if I'm going to get through this. All around the throne, people are bowing down. They are giving him their treasures. There are loud cheers and clapping, clapping and bright laughter like a thousand waterfalls. And everyone bursts out singing a new song. This is our king, the lamb who died, so we don't have to, our rescuer. All honor and glory forever and ever. And every creature everywhere, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, joins in the song. And then... From all around, a wide, immense, beautiful silence. And I see Satan, God's horrible enemy, thrown down and defeated. I see a sparkling city shimmering in the sky, glittering, glowing, coming down from heaven. And from the sky, heaven is coming down to earth. God's city is beautiful. Walls of topaz, jasper, sapphire, wide streets paved with gold, gleaming pearl gates that are never locked shut. Where is the sun? Where is the moon? They aren't needed anymore. God is all the light people need. No more darkness, no more night. Oh my gosh, why did I choose to read this? I can't read it to Annie, much less y'all. And the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick. No more dying. Because all those things are gone. They're forever gone. Everything sad has come untrue. And I see, and see, I've wiped away every tear from your eyes. And then a deep, beautiful voice 
that sounded like thunder and the sky says, look around, I'm making everything new. Let me pray.